Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Once again, I'm really thankful for this opportunity to preach God's word here at my own local church. That makes it special, you know. This is our church, my wife and I. We attend here. We're members here. I'm a deacon here, and we love it here. And so we, uh, for me, it's a real honor and privilege to serve the Lord by filling the pulpit once again for Pastor Matthew and giving him a much-needed break. Uh, I remember in my ministry years, Boy, I really look forward to those Sundays where I could get a break, and I'm sure he does too. I'm sure you've all heard the story of the Christian woman who got up one Sunday morning and started getting ready for church, and she kept hollering to her husband who was still in bed, honey, you got to get up. It's, you got to get ready. We're going to be late for church. You need to get up and get ready. And he hollers out from there, I'm not going. And she says, Why? Why aren't you going with me? He says, well, I'll give you two reasons. First of all, I don't think the people that church like me. And secondly, quite honestly, I don't like them either. (laughs) And she very wisely said, you're going to get up and go. And I'll give you two reasons why. First, you're my husband. And I love you. And I don't want to go to church by myself. I want you to go with me. And secondly, you're the pastor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No wonder those people down there don't like me, huh? Please open your Bible to the book of Exodus, second book of the Old Testament, chapter 14. And I would like you to follow along. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. I'm reading from the old King James Version, which has some archaic expressions, I know. But well, we're going to... But out of respect for the Word of God, would you all just stand together? And you can either read from the Bible or follow along on the screen. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 to 13. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall you encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored over Pharaoh and over all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have you done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. 
And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Piharoth before Baalzephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore have you dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians which you have seen today, you shall see them again, no more forever. Let's pray. Father, bless your word. May the principles and precepts that we glean from the word of God this morning encourage our hearts and strengthen us and help us to be able to deal with the adversities of life and the times where we feel overwhelmed and trapped and hemmed in by circumstances. So Lord, there may be some folks here in this audience this morning that feel exactly like that. They think there's no way out of their predicament. So God, use this message, speak to hearts. May your Holy Spirit be in full control of myself as I unfold the riches of your word. And may we walk out of this place different than the way we walked in. And we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When it seems like there's no way out of a situation, when the water is before you and the enemy army is behind you, listen, God will make a way. Our Bible study this morning is from Exodus chapter 14. I've entitled it Crossing the Red Sea, Crossing the Red Sea. Let me begin by asking, have you ever been in a situation where you feel trapped, where there's no way out. So many people in their financial um, world is, feel like that, especially with inflation the way it is, prices going up. Maybe they spread out their bills before them on the desk and there's more bills there than they have money to pay for. And they think to themselves, I... I don't have any way to get these bills, but I don't have any way out of this situation. There are some struggling with mental illnesses that are prone to suicide thoughts, and, and that's exactly what happens, listen, in the minds of those that are prone to suicide because they think that, you know, there, there's no hope. There's no way out of their 
problems and situation. They feel trapped. They feel overwhelmed. They feel hemmed in. And there may be some here in our audience this morning and you feel just like the Israelites who are trapped there at the water's edge of the Red Sea. There is a verse of scripture in the New Testament that perfectly fits in with Exodus 14, Israel trapped at the Red Sea. And it's found in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we'll put it up on the screen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Well, you know, that's good to know. You're not going to go through anything that other people haven't also experienced. You might think you're the only one that's ever gone through this trial, but that's not true. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Well, amen for that. I love what the weeping prophet Jeremiah said in the book of Lamentations. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We're going to sing that song at the end of the service today. But God is faithful. Now look at the next part of the verse. Who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above what you are able. Boy, that's good news. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape. He will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a wonderful verse. And that verse is beautifully illustrated by the Red Sea event that we're talking about here this morning. By the way, the word temptation there in 1 Corinthians 10 doesn't mean temptation to sin as we commonly think of temptation. It's not a solicitation to sin because James chapter one says, God doesn't do that. God never tempts a person to sin. God can't do that because he's perfectly holy. So God never tempts you to sin, but the word is better understood. There has no testing or trial taken you, but such as is common to man. And I can assure you there are times in your life and in my life where God does allow testings to come into our, the pathway of our lives. He, he not only allows it, he designs it. He orchestrates it. And we're going to discover in just a moment why that is. So, this morning I want to share with you Practical principles. Are you supposed to remember your pen ready and take notes in your worship guide? Four practical principles to remember when you find yourself in a difficult spot, in a difficult place. Four principles. Number one, write this down. First, realize God meant you to be right where you are. This is not a mistake. This is not a plan gone wrong. This is not Moses getting it wrong and, you know, ending up in the wrong place and thinking, oh my, what are, what, what are we doing here? Realize 
Number one, God meant you to be right where you are. If you look closely at verse two, notice what God says to Moses. I want you to turn. It looks like they were going this direction. God's, listen, turn and camp by the sea between this mountain, Pi Hiroth, or however it is, and this one, Baalzephon. So they go down through this canyon, mountain on the left and on the right, and they go down to the sea. And so for all intents and purposes, they were trapped. You know, this is amazing. God gives a specific location for the Israelites to make camp. Which brings me to letter A in your notes. God deliberately led his people to this place. You might even say God led them into a trap. Even Pharaoh realized they were trapped. Even he knows, uh uh-oh, Israel, they're, they're trapped there by the sea. Now, there's a number of others in the Bible that had the same kind of experience, found themselves in a predicament with seemingly no way out. I think of Hagar, the bondwoman, to uh, Sarah and Abraham, and you know there was conflict in in the home there, in the tent, and finally Sarah casts her out, says, I want you out of here. I want you to take your son Ishmael and get out. And so she's cast out. She goes out into a desert Her bottle of water runs out. She has no way to quench the thirst of her child. So she takes Ishmael and she places him under a shrub. And he starts to cry because he's thirsty. And she is too. And so as not to hear the cry of her own son as he's dying of thirst, Hagar walks a great way. She says, may I not hear the sound of his crying. But you know the beautiful thing about that passage? God heard the voice of the lad where he was. And God showed her a well. But it looked like from all human perspective, she was in a situation with no way out. I think of Joseph, rejected by his brothers. He found himself first of all in a pit. And then later on down in Egypt, he found himself in prison for something he never did. I think of Hezekiah, the good and godly king of Judah, who found himself totally surrounded by the Assyrian army. And um, he says to his friend, his co-worker there, Hezekiah turns and says to his servant, he says, "Uh, don't worry, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. This guy says, what? What? Those that are with us. There's two of us. What do you mean those that are with us are more than those that are with them? And then Hezekiah prays. He said, God, open his eyes that he can see. And the eyes of the servant were opened and he looked. And behind the Assyrian army, all around, above and behind the Assyrian army, was the army of angels. But... So coincidental, the song today talked about God's angel army. Amen? (laughs) Think of that. It wasn't Hezekiah that was surrounded. It was the Assyrians that were surrounded. 
And then I think of the 12 disciples out there in the middle of the night, out in the middle of the lake, struggling, striving in the storm. And, um, you know, you say, why do these things happen to God's people? Why does God allow things like this to happen to his own people? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that brings me to my second point. Letter B, write this down. God has allowed you to be right where you are for his purpose. God's got a reason. The Lord had a reason for leading Israel to this very spot. Now, in your life and in my life, it may take you a while to figure out what that reason or what that purpose is, but be assured of this. Listen carefully. You can be assured of this. God knows what he's doing. You might not know what God's doing, but that's irrelevant. God always knows what he's doing. And when God led Israel to this place that looked like they were trapped, Everything from God's perspective was right according to his plan and purpose. Israel didn't get it. And I'll tell you, when we go through trials, we don't get it either. We say, God, oh God, why? Why is this happening? God had a purpose. We know that all things work together for good to them that, what? Love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. God knows what he's doing, dear friend. I don't care what you're going through this morning. I don't care what you're dealing with, but I can tell you this, God is in control. He's in control. Andrew Murray, the great statesman, Christian statesman, wrote in his diary, in the midst of a great trial that he was going through, listen to what this guy wrote in his diary. First, God brought me here in his will. Second, God will keep me here in his love. Third, God will teach me here in his grace. And last, God will bring me through how and when only he knows. (laughs) How true that is. That is a great statement. Uh, That is a quote worth memorizing. Let me tell you. So long before you ever see the parting of the waves and God's footprints through the sea... You need to accept the fact that God has allowed you to be right where you are. Over the course of my ministry, my pastoral ministry, from time to time, a man would come into my office for counseling and he'd sit there and he'd say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I hate my job. My boss is overbearing. He, he just is a real jerk. And he just... He doesn't appreciate the hard work that I do. I never get any positive feedback, only criticism. I never hear anything good. I I, I just find it hard to get up and get dressed and go to work in the morning. I just hate my job. And by the way, I'm underpaid. I'm 
not making a whole lot of money either. Pastor, what should I do? And in those cases, they most often are thinking to themselves, surely my pastor will tell me, just go get a different job. Just get out of there. Go find somebody that will appreciate you and your work and what you're doing and, by the way, may pay you what you're worth. See, that's what they want me to say. But I found it more biblical to respond like this. Why don't you ask God why he put you in that job? Why don't you say, God, show me what your purpose is in me being in this situation? Because frankly, I don't like it, but God, show me how this is your will and your purpose. And by the way, I would say to them, after God accomplishes his purpose for you, in this place, he may lead you to a place far better. But right now, you figure out what God's purpose is for you right here, right now. By the way, that's good advice for those of you that are struggling in marriage. Everybody wants the way out of a marriage. My advice Ask God what his will is, his purpose, and it's always for you to stick in there, stay in there, so that God is glorified. Amen? Everybody wants a way out. As soon as they come in to any kind of a tough situation, they're always looking for a way out. Let her see, God, Jesus put his disciples in the midst of a storm. The parallel passage for the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 14, is Mark 6 in the New Testament, where Jesus sends, listen to this, he sends his disciples straight out onto the lake, right into a storm. As a matter of fact, if you look at the wording of Mark 6.45, it says, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the boat. I get the impression from that that they really didn't want to leave the Lord. They didn't want to go ahead of the Lord. He says, I'm telling you, I want you to go on ahead of me, get in the boat, and go across the lake. He constrained his disciples to get into the boat. Jesus deliberately sent his disciples Right smack into the middle of a storm. You know why? Because he had a purpose in that. It was a testing of their faith. And that's what all trials do. They test our faith, our dependence on the Lord. So we look at this. And we realize God meant you to be right where you are. And then letter D, in a seemingly impossible situation, claim God's promise. Notice this, he will make a way of escape. 
All evidence to the contrary, there's no better place to be. You say, are you kidding me? And I say, no, I'm not. There's no better place to be than the place where, listen, you are forced to trust the Lord. Now, if you're like me, I don't like to be in those kind of situations. But you know, God has a way, listen carefully, God has a way of putting us in situations where we are forced to trust him. And that's a good thing. That is a a good thing. Number two, write this down. So first of all, realize God meant you to be right where you are. Number two, Second, be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. Boy, there's a lesson here. Notice what it says in verse 4. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies. That the, listen to this. The Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Be more concerned for God's glory than for your relief. God orchestrated This Red Sea event to show his power over several things, three things particularly. In one episode, in one dramatic, miraculous episode of God's power, he he proves, he demonstrates three things. Number one, his power over his enemies to defeat them. Number two, his power over his elect to deliver them, and number three, his power over the forces of nature to show his dominion over them. And could there be a greater evidence of God's power over nature than the parting of the Red Sea? Think of it. In one fantastic miracle, God demonstrates, he accomplishes a whole bunch of things, but First of all, he shows his power over his enemies and he shows his power to his elect all at the same time. What an amazing thing that is. There's a verse in Psalms. By the way, uh, uh, quite a few of the Psalms talk about the Red Sea experience. There's a number and you can do your own Bible study when you get home where David, the psalmist, refers to the Red Sea. And here's one of them. It's Psalm 106, verse 7 and 8. Our fathers provoked God at the sea. And that's talking about how they complained against Moses. Poor Moses. Well, that guy couldn't win. He really couldn't. And so they're griping and complaining You know, to Moses, how could you do this to us? You brought us out of Egypt. We're going to die right here. Listen to this. Our fathers provoked God at the sea, even the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them. Now watch this. For his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. Now I'm going to share with you something this morning that you're going to find at first a little hard to believe. I want to propose to you that God's number one reason for parting the Red Sea was not to save Israel. 
You say, what? God's number one reason for parting the Red Sea was not to save Israel. Oh, yes, that was accomplished. God's number one reason in doing it scripturally is that he would be glorified. That God would be glorified. That was the number one reason for the parting of the sea. It just so happens that Israel really benefited from it. Wouldn't you agree? Letter B, God plans our trials so he's glorified. Not so we're comforted. You know, we always want just the easy way out. We want our own relief. You know, we don't want trials. We just want to be comforted. Instead of asking, how did I get into this mess? Or how do I get out of this mess? We should pray, how can God be glorified in this situation? That's how we should pray. The next time you're in a trial, no matter what it is, the next time you're in a trial, I want you, don't, don't say, God, get me out of this. Instead, you need to pray, God, glorify yourself. This is not comfortable for me but glorify yourself through this trial. Many of you know my dear wife, Nancy, has been struggling for the past 20 years with a muscle disorder called FSH. It's an adult onset muscular dystrophy. Most muscular dystrophy affects little kids You've seen the Jerry Lewis telethons on TV for muscular dystrophy, but there is a type of muscular dystrophy that affects adults. And back about 20 years ago, my dear wife, she was stricken with this muscle disorder. It's a slow wasting away of all the muscle tissues throughout her body. Um, For the past year, she has pretty much been confined to a wheelchair. She used to be able to get out of the wheelchair and do some things by herself and be up on her feet for a a while at least. But here, especially this past year, there's been really a downhill trek here. And it's just, um, it's been tough. She's pretty much confined to to the wheelchair One of the things my wife loves to do is work in her flower gardens, and we have a lot of them. We live on a corner lot in a nice, beautiful residential neighborhood, and, um, you know, we have 11 all around our home on every side. We have 11 different flower beds. I know that because one day I counted them. (laughs) And all of them are beautiful. They are her pride and joy. She loves maintaining those flower gardens. And at least up until this spring, she would spend hour upon hour out there in one of those flower beds pulling weeds. Now, how in the world anybody could possibly gain any pleasure out of pulling weeds? I'll never know. I just haven't figured that one out yet. But she loves working in her flower gardens. 
But this spring, she said to me, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. And so we sat down and we talked and, you know, we, we have the kind of conversations you do. I want you to know that we're human. We struggle with the same things you folks do. And so this message today is kind of personal to us. We've, we've lived it. And because it's personal to us, I want it to be personal to you. So we sat down and we talked and, you know, the usual question, why, why is this happening in my life? I've been a faithful pastor's wife for 44 years of my husband's ministry. You know, why is this happening in my life? That's a good question, isn't it? I said to her just this past week, I said, "Hon, all I can tell you is this. And by the way, I was already starting to work on this message, so all of this was in my head. And I said, "Hon, if you were in health, if you had a healthy body, think of all the opportunities you would have missed to show God's amazing grace in your life. Think of all the opportunities to be a testimony of what God can do in the life of a person who's suffering. God has given you a unique platform that the rest of us don't have. God's given you this to bring glory to himself. And can I just say, as her husband, I think my wife does an amazing job of radiating the joy of the Lord in the midst of a terrible circumstance. So we have learned or we are learning that we should be more concerned with God's glory than our relief. And all God's people said, third, number three, number one, realize God meant you to be right where you are. Number two, Be more concerned for God's glory than your relief. Number three, listen carefully. Pray, calm down, and give God time to work. Pray, calm down, and give God time to work. Notice, first of all, they cried out to the Lord. And we need to do that. It's okay to cry out to the Lord. By the way, When you're going through a trial, it's okay to pray as long as that's not the only time you pray. But, you know, it's okay to, like the Israelis said, cry out to God. 
I mean, that's normal. You know, God heard their cries back there in Egypt when they were slaves, and now they're at the Red Sea, and God hears their cries again. So in times of great trial, we have only two options, to panic or to pray. God help us to pray. Letter B, stay calm. Oh, this is so important. Did you notice in verse 13 what Moses does? They're all complaining, why did you bring us here? We're going to die out here. Weren't there enough graves back in Egypt? Why did you do this? And uh, again, I say, poor Moses. Uh, and, and here's what Moses does. He says, stand still. In other words, calm down. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you to, today. Boy, there's faith because even Moses doesn't know God's going to part the sea. You think, did Moses have some inside information here? No, he didn't. But he did say, just stand still and watch what God's going to do. Well, it's hard to calm down. When we had little kids, they would get all worked up and they would lose, lose it, you know? You ever have little kids that lose it? And they're jumping around and all out of control. And so often I would have to go up to the little toddler and grab their little puffy cheeks like this and look them in the eye and say, look at me. Look, look into my eyes. Calm down. <laughs> I'd still like to do that to my 45-year-olds back there. <laughs> but they'd probably beat me up. <laughs> But you have to do that with kids to get them under control. Do you know in the Bible, here's another good Bible study. Look up the phrase, fear not. And you'll notice something. Before God himself can get the attention of people and give them a good message, you know, like the shepherds in the hillside, he first says, fear not. Because people can't hear what God is trying to say to them if they're jumping around out of control and they've lost it. So here's a lesson for us when we're going through a trial. Just calm down and wait for God. Get a hold of yourself. How often in scripture before God ever say in order to get their attention, fear not. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator wrote this. Listen to this. God brings us into straits that he might bring us to our knees. 
In times of great crisis and difficulty, it is our wisdom to keep our spirits calm and quiet and sedate. For then we're in the best frame to do our own work and consider the work of God. That's a great quote too. How true that is. Calm down, Moses says. Let her see, forget the clock. Give God time to work. That's what the phrase wait on the Lord means. If you're like me, you hate to wait on the Lord. Whenever I'm facing any trial or any problem, you know what I do? Same thing you do. I get a pen and a paper out and I start calculating. I start scheming. How am I going to solve this? I've discovered something. When it comes to my wife, she doesn't want me to solve her problem. She wants me to listen to what it is. Most of us men think that our role in life is to solve our wife's problems. I hate to tell you men, is that doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried it. So what are we supposed to do? I'll tell you what we're supposed to do. Wait on the Lord. Don't put God on a clock. Wait, listen, wait on the Lord. There's two great verses in the Bible that talk about that great theme. Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and I will strengthen, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Boy, that's good advice. The one you know better is Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Dear friends, wait on the Lord. Don't try to run ahead of him. Don't try to scheme and plan and figure out a solution. How about letting God come up with the solution? That might be a better idea. Now, admittedly, God doesn't always deliver us the way we want him to. But he will deliver you, dear friend... He delivers you in his own way and in his own time. By the way, the ultimate deliverance we all have to look forward to, and that's when God just takes us right up on out of here. Boy, you talk about deliverance. Wow. So, what are we saying? Let the Lord... Give God time to work. Number four, and we close with this. Fourth, take the next step by faith and claim God's presence. Take the next step by faith. You know what's interesting? We didn't read verse 15 as part of the scripture reading this morning, but it says this. Why do you cry unto me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. What? They're at the edge of the sea. They're trapped. And what's God's message? He says to Moses, just tell them to move forward. The sea hasn't opened up yet. Now, here's something to think about. If God would have opened up the sea first so they could see all the way through to the other side, it doesn't take much faith to say, oh, I think I'll go through there. This is, this is cool. I think I'll walk right down through here. That doesn't take any faith. 
But I'll tell you what does take faith. When God's, and you're still trapped and there's no parting of the sea yet and God says, take a step forward. But let me tell you, that's always the God, way God works. And that's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Not seen. They haven't seen the parting of the waters yet. That's faith. This principle seen here is not only when Israel was leaving Egypt and they're at the sea, but when they, after 40 years later, after they wandered in the wilderness, they come to the Jordan River under Joshua, and there they are at the Jordan River, and guess what? The Jordan, the waters of Jordan did not part so they could cross until the soles of the feet of the high priest were actually put in the water. They actually had to step into the waters of Jordan. And as soon as they took that step of faith, God opened up the Jordan River. Folks, that's, that's faith. That's what faith is all about. And then let her be, see here God's presence in the sea. The Lord was with them. We, we missed this point, but it's such an important point. God's presence with, with, was with them in the sea. Don't get the idea that God opened up this channel, this pathway through the sea, and God's standing here on this side of the sea, and he's saying, come on, go through there. See that? Walk through. Come on, keep moving. Get through there. No, God doesn't do that. God leads them. The Lord led his people through the sea. Let me give you two verses. They're in your notes there. Psalm 78, 53, he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. He led them safely. And then Psalm 106, 9, he rebuked this Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths. Ah, what a glorious truth. God was with his people through the Red Sea. We can claim God's presence even under the uttermost part of the sea. You know that great passage in Psalm 139 that deals with God's omnipresence? It's such a powerful passage. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, listen to this, and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea. Even there, listen to this, even there shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. By the way, this passage on God's omnipresence goes on in the next several verses where David refers to himself as an unborn baby, still in his mother's womb. And he refers to himself all in personal pronouns, which means what? It means David was a person in his mother's womb. And that is one of the great sanctity of life 
scripture proofs in all of the Bible is Psalm 139. And before I close, I just want to say this, a little side note. After 20 years of Roe versus Wade, I am so grateful that finally, after about 75 to 80 million helpless unborn babies were put to death because of Roe versus Wade, I'm glad that we now have the prospect finally of the life of the helpless unborn, aren't you? Boy, I tell you, that's... It still hasn't totally happened yet, so I don't want to jinx it. But let me just say this. I am hopeful that finally God will be glorified in that Supreme Court decision. That is my hope and prayer. Because I believe that unborn babies are a creation of an almighty God and deserve our protection. So you find yourself in a predicament, in a trap, in a difficult place where you're hemmed in on every side. What do you do? You realize God meant you to be right where you are. You be more concerned with God's glory than your relief. You calm down and pray and give God time to work. And finally, you obey God, take the next step by faith, and claim his presence. And he'll be with you. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, maybe there's some here this morning that are going through a terrible trial. They've kind of lost hope. They feel like there's no way out of this predicament that they're in. So Lord, I pray that this message might have been an encouragement to them. I pray, Lord, that you'll use it to encourage them and minister to their hearts. And God, right now, I also pray for any that might be in this auditorium that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And they can't really claim your presence in their lives because you've never been invited into their heart to be their Savior. They can't claim your help through difficult trials because they've never taken the first step, which is asking you to be their personal Savior. So Lord, right now in the quietness of this moment, if there's some folks like that, I pray that they would just quietly in their own heart pray a prayer something like this dear lord i know that i'm a sinner and i know my life's a mess and right now dear god i open up my heart's door to you i ask jesus christ your son to come into my heart and be my savior right now today i accept jesus as my lord and my savior Dear friend, if you prayed that prayer, God heard it. And your life will be never the same from this day forward. Now, Lord, minister to our hearts as we sing that great, great old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. 
you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.